Welcome back, folks. I have a very special treat for all of my regular listeners out there, as I have been blessed to have the general manager of Waves Audio give me an hour of his time to bring some answers to the audio communities that we serve, but also to pick his brain about what it's like operating an audio software development business at the size and scale that Waves has achieved. If this is your first time tuning in, there's a theme behind the Modern Producer Secrets, and it's centered around the power of the mind. The very special guest that I have with us today revealed some of the critical mindsets that I believe are why Waves has been able to reach the level of success and the scale that they operate at now. So, as you're listening to the interview, I hope you'll pick up on the cues in both his personal story that he shares, but also in that of how Waves approaches everything it does. We're all human. No one is perfect. And during the interview, we touch on a few of the missteps and hard lessons that the company has had to learn from and adapt. Here's my interview with Mick Bolesh. You're listening to the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, the first music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle, where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real sustainable success from the inside out. Welcome to the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Cameron Bashaw, and today I have a very special guest. I have Mick Olesh, and you are the VP of Waves, is that correct? I'm the general manager. General manager now, awesome. So today I kind of want to focus on a few different things. There's so much that I would love to cover with you, but I have a very limited amount of time with you. I want to go over a few things, sharing how Waves went from a small software developer to a world-renowned digital signal processing firm with one of the largest arsenals of digital tools that spans native plugins to bespoke hardware-based solutions that are networkable for any environment of any scale. And of course, get a behind-the-scenes look into how the business of this scale operates and what challenges Waves has had to face to become an industry titan. And finally, if time allows, I'd like to get your perspective on recent events within Waves announcing moves to a subscription-only model, and why the choice to move back to offering more perpetual licensing. Obviously, that's a whole other separate topic we'll get to toward the end. So I just want to get a little bit of background from you, Mick. What brought you into the audio industry, and how did you end up working at Waves? Well, how do we put this shortly? That's the question. (laughs) So my father was a musician. Okay. That kind of sums it. (laughs) <laughs> at a very early age, he was a multi-instrumental and had a band moving from one country to the other, entertaining British troops at the time oh, wow. in various locations. When I was born or, well, when I was six or seven years old, he tortured me to study piano, which I hated. And at some point, I think it was the age of 11 or 12, I decided I'm going to be a drum. He didn't like it. I loved it. (laughs) Uh, But I became a drum hall and and started playing with band gigs. At some stage, I actually played with him. I think it was when I was singing or something like that. We we worked together at some stage, but... I guess when I was 17 or 18, for some reason or another, I walked into a studio. That was beginning of the end of the warming period. 
and the beginning of the audio engineering uh, geek, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I fell in love with that whole environment. I became a uh, apprentice, made a lot of coffee and tea, as, as the usual friend goes, and, and learned the trade. Became an engineer. At some stage, opened my own studio. Got involved with the acquiring of equipment mm. from various companies. And as years passed, kind of moved into the business of making music and less making music. In the 80s, it was very much working with some of the, at the time, well-known larger companies, which some of them don't exist anymore, mm -hmm. still analog. And then kind of looking at the first digital workstations and recorders, the Sony's, etc. Waves is a private company and is owned by two lovely guys. One of them is called Gilad. And at some stage when I was, I guess I was around 30 years old, I had this dream of having this massive five-way speaker system in my uh, living room. Wow. And I asked someone to build it, <laughs> which they did. But it, it worked out where there was just multiple amounts of cables and power amplifiers and racks, which that guy couldn't bring over and couldn't... <laughs> I don't know. And he asked Gilad, who worked for him at the time, to come over and put it all together. And that's how I met him first time. Gotcha. We then became friends. He was a recording engineer. I was a recording engineer. We met off and on. And many, many years later, this is uh, 1999, something like that. He called me up and said, yeah, you want to join? And that's how I started working with Waves. At that time, we had two platforms, Native and TDM. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which now doesn't exist. That's how I started working with Waves. At the beginning, it was doing sales for Europe. Then it was uh, worldwide. Then it was marketing. Then it's tech support, IT development, etc. So VP here, VP that, and, and wow. Now Awesome. So you've gotten a lot of experience in all of the different legs or arms of the company, if you will. Yes, definitely. Except for the actual software development and R&D, I've been through most of them, most of awesome. the others. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I do not write. <laughs> Nor do I, but I, you know, a I lot of chat GPT. Yeah. It, <laughs> technology is taking off. It's crazy. Uh, let's bring it back. I just want to touch on a couple other things here because obviously you've had quite a storied career within Waves and Waves has grown from obviously their humble beginnings when it was an early software development company, pretty much exclusive to pro tools like TDM and Native as the industry just exploded with that digital market. What do you feel put Waves on the map? Was there a specific plugin? Well, or... Uh Gilad wrote me, I think last week, that in October, it's 30 years for the Q10 ah, yes. to be released. I guess at the beginning, where do you get a parametric equalizer with 10 bands with all the different filters 
on a piece of software and save it and do whatever you like with it. So that's a big, big step forward from the analog world. And then you had stuff like the L1 and then it just goes on and on and on, but it's yeah. really, it's 30 years since. And it's, uh, that's amazing. And at the time those were released, just the novelty and innovation behind those digital tools, being able to compete at an audio quality level as the hardware was pretty fascinating. And that blew a lot of minds back then. <laughs> and, and don't forget, this wasn't a piece of software, which was a box with branding and a disc and a piece of plastic, which was uh, the dongle. It was, a, you know, there was something about the whole idea of selling a product in the store, which was at the time still valid. Yeah. And retail's definitely changed since then. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. A whole lot. Oh yeah. The game is still the same, right? Still got to make sales. That's just the landscape has shifted. If we were to look at the major milestones that really took waves from being just a software development company to being this huge behemoth of a company that I think is left an indelible mark on the industry. Apart from the beginning, which we just touched on, which is probably the biggest step. One, we've stayed private. We have a really unbelievable dedicated employee base. Some of them are celebrating 20 and 30 years at Waves. Wow. Which today it's like, hey, after three, four years, you're looking for the next opportunity. And then I would say L2 was a mark moving into the whole idea of artists creating their own plugins from Eddie Kramer to Tony, Chris. Working with Abbey Road exclusively, then receiving the Grammy. Oh, I think nice. that was a big, big step for us. Moving into the consumer world, we've been supplying some of the largest platforms with audio processing, Dell and, and definitely others as well. The live sound was another step mm -hmm. where we kind of dominate the market as far as Outboard, I call it outboard processing, but software outboard processing. Yeah, you guys changed the market with it. Yeah, the idea was everything was ready for that to happen. We saw how everyone wanted to get the CD experience when they go and see a live performance. And the digital consoles were there, the speaker systems were there, but no one could actually create that same sound as they had in the studio working with the plugins. So that was number one, but number two was latency. So we created the platform, which is called SoundRig, which enables our plugins to run on Intel-based platforms, providing near zero latency. So that together, obviously with the help of Yamaha, Digico, Alan and Eves, and, and many, many other digital console companies, we've kind of uh, nailed that one. Yeah. And I feel like you cornered the market on that as well, as terms of the ecosystem that you guys have built out with the DigiGrid hardware, as well as being able to run native software and still have it networked. You didn't go down the UAD path per se. No, that's yeah. different. Yeah. 
totally different market, but it's still accessible to as many people as possible, which I think is incredible. That's no small feat to accomplish. That was pretty good. And obviously, we've grown in various resources a company requires. So (laughs) it's not 30, 40, 50 employees. It's in the hundreds. That has a toll and a requirement, but it's working out well. We now have changed our model where we have business units. So we have control over each business unit. There's the consumer, there's the live, and there's the pro, which is what used to be called the studio and now has a lot of different names. But, and I think that's where I think your team is mostly centered around that. Correct. Still pro studio, home musician, (laughs) different names nowadays. And I think that's just a testament to how the landscape has shifted, right? The studio can be anywhere, wherever the professional is. And that's the big takeaway. And I think that's very clever that you guys have had to do that. And I take it the reason you had to separate them into business units was to be more efficient and have each organization within kind of stand on its own legs so that the ship can steer efficiently. Because the bigger you get as a company, and that's the thing, the more cogs, the more gears that you have to make the machine work, the harder it is to steer that ship. It's like going from being on a small boat to being a giant oil tanker, right? And it's really hard to, once you're set in motion, that trajectory you're on, it's very hard to change. It's a big, big step. It's hard to describe how (laughs) difficult that is. Being small is such an amazing experience. And then... (laughs) Everything changes. Exactly. It it becomes a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'll equate it to this, at least from my experience. I have a day job and it's more IT focused and the company that I work with is fairly small and it feels like family, but the downside of that is there's a mentality that is shoot from the hip. Just go get it done. You can move fast. You can pivot, change directions very quickly, but I'm seeing a lot of need to formalize more processes and develop systems that bring in efficiencies that a small business just can't achieve without those systems in place. So instead of just shooting from the hip and constantly throwing more labor at it, design a more efficient system. It kind of forces the company as a whole to slow down a little bit. We're not as agile to be able to pivot or move, change direction as fast. But then within that business, the gears are moving more efficiently and there's less friction involved you could start to solve the bottlenecks within. And I think that was the key thing for our audience. When we're talking to producers that are starting off very small, it might be just them. They're the solopreneur, right? They're business owner, but they kind of have to think and wear multiple hats. So when it comes to stepping in and, and switching hats and thinking about things from different perspectives, some of us have to take the time to step away, look at it from a 30,000 foot view bird's eye view and just get a better perspective of like, okay, what bottlenecks am I having? Is there a way that I can solve that by designing the machine to operate more efficiently? Yeah, it might make my business a little bit less agile, but the benefit is I can improve those efficiencies and develop that funnel, if you will. Yeah, that's an amazing description and so right. (laughs) Uh, We try and keep the agile side alive. Yeah. Now they, it's kind of in our blood. In many cases, it's danger zone. 
right. shooting from the hip, it becomes a problem. If you do it too much, it becomes a problem. You <laughs> kill many. <laughs> right. Or that, or you just, you constantly miss the mark, right? Yeah. If you're shooting for hip, your accuracy decreases. I'm curious, what, is there any particular challenges that you can recall within waves trying to grow that new arm or leg of the business when that was very early in the industry for that segment? Well, I don't think those challenges have gone away. I think it's just an ongoing challenge. It's like a ladder. You, okay. you get the steps. You need to step on those steps. It doesn't matter if it's 200 miles or 100 miles up. You still need to walk those steps. It's always juggling between what you want and what you can have and what you should have. Mm -hmm. Really, it's an ongoing day-to-day -day task. Obviously, moving from, I would say, small to mid is slightly easier because you keep a lot of the, what you called agile right. opportunities open and you restructure points that you're comfortable with. You don't touch any of the really nasty, nasty points that as a company you should. <laughs> And as you cross a certain mark, which I'm not sure, I, it's probably different for each industry, but there's this point in time where suddenly you can't do that anymore. And there's IT restraints and digital services restraints, and you need to open up tech support 24-7. You need a delivery system, which is IT-based, because whatever happens in the industry, and you want more than one plug in a quarter, <laughs> all that becomes something that you need to look at. At that point, it becomes that big company, less agile, more work that's done in confined environments, the idea of creating business units. And that's where we are today. Although, as I said, we still try and become agile as much as possible mm -hmm. with the B2C companies. They very long-term, two years, three years ahead. Live sound, eh, it's okay. They plan the shows, everything's good. We know what, more or less what Claire and other companies are going to do a year ahead, if not more, what shows are going to go on the road. In the pro industry, the studio industry, the, the amount of change is crazy. Yeah. Oh, everything's like, Bang, 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 whatever <laughs> yesterday is gone. A lot of the tracks we listen to, there's no more musicians at all. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be good, maybe bad, depends on who you ask. But there's one thing that remains, which is the vocals. And then suddenly for the last five years, we've been working on vocal processing. Plug-in after plug-in after plug-in. It's <laughs> vocals related or listening related. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the option of listening on headphones because there is no monitor, there is no acoustics. Everything's changing very, very quickly. The next step, obviously, is everything is SaaS. They want instant gratification. Yeah. No matter what, I want to log in. I want it happening. Thank you. Goodbye. And right. that's typically with curators and podcasters, etc. A, a lot of them don't know audio. No. <laughs> and they want everything on the spot done and they want to be heard exactly like the other guy. And 
that's where we are. You need to get into a very fast working environment, mm-hmm. which means more employees, which means a big company. <laughs> so looking at it from that top-down perspective, when we're looking at the business and what you've mentioned over the last 10 to 15 years, we've gone from retail where it was physical product based to now digital delivery. And now with the advent of internet going from being something that you would have to dial up and connect to, to being always on, it's shifted how your business operates. So in those landscape shifts, if I were to refer to the analogy of width versus depth and breadth, the industry today is much broader than before. There's more and more people with different audio needs that are getting into audio processing. They need audio processing tools for whatever. It's a content creator, marketer, not necessarily an audio professional, but their job does require them to process audio. And I think that's really the core of what you were getting at there. I'm curious, we'll just touch on it and we can move on after that because I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but piracy is never an easy topic to discuss. Still, it is. Yeah. (laughs) It is easy. (laughs) It is (laughs) <laughs> it's not a problem. Like many things, it's a mindset. Yes. So this is, I think it's uh, 2012. I, after 10 years, go on a vacation. Okay. I'm, flying, I'm flying to uh, Bangkok. I arrive. I land. Phone call. Mick, Ilock was just broken into. Oh, wow. Everything's open. Everything. Please come back. I'm on the flight back. Oh my gosh. So, so uh, that happened, I think it was 2012. I'm not sure, but more or less. And that was the big ILOC thing where everything, the home industry was suddenly open to everyone. So there was piracy before that, but not at that level. We went through, I think, one, two, maybe three years of trying to create a work schedule with which is supposed to fight virus. And at some point, we understood that the amount of money we're putting out there by employees to fight piracy unsuccessfully, because it takes a minute for anyone to break into whatever you've done, and then you're back in loop again. It would be better to take that same amount of money and invest it in product. And that kind of changed our mind completely. Wow. So that's step one. Step two was change our pricing policy as well and offer lower priced products because we believe there's enough users out there just to buy a legal product to have them able to have enough funds to spend on it. Since then, we haven't done anything with piracy. Only today I got the uh, email number 1000 from China saying, hey, you know that, 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 and we can that, 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 that. Yeah, okay. Hey, you know, there's, there's millions out there using piracy. We know it. Yeah. That's the nature of the beast. What we intend to do is continue developing products and allowing as many users as possible from those different segments you mentioned, mm-hmm. be able to utilize the products, no matter if it's SaaS or engineers, producers, home studios, whatever. I think that's brilliant. That's where we are and we really don't care. 
Yeah. And I think it's such a wise approach to take because I can look at music producers who are almost afraid to put out their music because of all the IP infringement things, especially now with AI and things that can lift all of your inspirational assets and create new creations just from that. There's a lot to be worried about today in terms of content creation. But I think at the end of the day, if your goal is to be a music producer, just focus on making the music. Don't let those hurdles be the things that stand in your way. Overcome the hurdles. Just keep putting out more. Because at the end of the day, your business is to make audio processing tools for professionals of any caliber and any industry. So just keep making the tools, find out where the demand is, and then satisfy it. When you can communicate that value clearly, I think that's where you have the opportunity to make a sale. That's something that Waves has proven countless times throughout the decades. You guys build products of amazing value. People have not only the brand recognition, but they know the tools work and will do what they say they do. That's a testament to not only the mindset that you carry as a company, but our music producers can absolutely lean on that mindset as well. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. The challenge nowadays mm-hmm. is actually finding out what the users, I don't want to call them users because they know that something needs to be done to their audio and they have no idea what, and mm-hmm. they expect us to analyze and make it happen. And that's where AI comes into play. And and Mm. we're definitely invested big time in that direction. Right, right. And I think you guys have a a tool that recently came out called the Studioverse, right? Is that that what you're referring to? No, that's one of them. Then Mm. there's actually the first tool that came out, which is AI-based, is called Clarity. Ah, okay, yes. And and then there was Cosmos, Clarity, Dereverb, Studioverse is taking it one step beyond and actually allowing you as a curator, musician, whatever, write down what you're looking for. Mm. And the system will bring up different types of combinations of, we can call them presets, which have been created either by famous producers or some of our stuff. It's a place where you as a user can create presets, upload them, and either share them or not. It's becoming this universe where you don't have to know exactly what an equalizer or a compressor or threshold or any of those terms is. If you do, we allow you to walk in there and tweak the hell out of it. But <laughs> Some of the users don't know. They're musicians and they want it to sound like that or like that. Right. Well, that opportunity, that's the first step in, in that direction. We've got that's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. I know a lot of the community out there has recently seen that shift from offering a perpetual license to the subscription only model. So I kind of want to get your perspective on whatever you can share with us. Now, subscription models in the industry have honestly been nothing new or novel. Waves have long offered a subscription model for support and updates, but perhaps we can start with how the model works. If you can elaborate on how customers can buy perpetual licenses to use that version of the plugin, how the support subscription works to the customer's benefit, and then the challenge with this model 
in your sales cycle. Talking about perpetual, yeah. the original model, that, that's available to either some of the dealers we work with and obviously our own website. When you buy any perpetual license, you're receiving a one-year book and updates, including a second license. After the term of a year, you can make a decision if you wish to pay for the update plan and get an extra year or not. If you don't, you keep on working, nothing changes. The second license goes away, but apart from that, the perpetual license remains. You continue working as much as you want, as long as you like. At a certain point, if your host changes, your, I don't know, uh, OS changes, and it requires us to work in order to have that perpetual license you purchased five years ago, whatever, compatible, in order to receive that compatibility, you do need to pay for that one-year upgrade plan again. So that's how it works. It did work up to when we released subscription. Right. I want to just stop you right there because I get why the challenges exist. Like obviously software is such a never-ending cycle, right? When we look at the operating system, Microsoft is doing weekly updates now to Windows and things change behind the scenes. So the software itself has to become a subscription at some point just to keep it alive. The you, old days are gone. Could, if you purchased a Q10, a Q10 30 years ago, and you're still using it. It's valid. Right. It works. And it's 30 years of ongoing updates, upgrades. OSs have changed. I don't know how many digital audio workstations you've gone through <laughs> as a user. And they all need to be compatible with this single plugin. Now, we have uh, now 270 plugins. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so... Over the last decade, there's a lot of smaller companies and they'll have five, 10, 20, 50 plugins. Not a big deal. When you're at this level, the amount of work that needs to be interacted into each plugin or each different update or upgrade or nuance we decide that is going to happen with the plugin, it's a massive structure which needs to be funded. Right. So. Yes, we can bring up the price of the plugin, but then obviously your sales dramatically decline. So it's kind of a, I don't want to say catch 22, but it's there and we're trying to make it easier. But in our industry, users are not used to paying for that directly with the name update plan. <laughs> so your, your money is like growing into a, an insurance company or, or whatever. Right. I think we're the, the only company software-wise that's doing that for many years, but that's the nature of being private and dedicated. So then what would the change to a subscription-only model have meant for Waves? The producers in our community are curious if the switch to the subscription-only model would have effectively rendered the Waves update program redundant. Would that have been the case? When we released, because the, the end of March, our mindset was the community wants everything. It's a massive amount of product. 
maybe not used on a daily basis and they don't want to pay for the update plan. So we said, okay, let's make two different tiers, essential and ultimate. Ultimate has everything. Essential has slightly less, but still over 110 plugins. Definitely something you can work with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll price them monthly. We'll price them yearly. The usual scheme. Mm -hmm. uh, they include everything. You don't have to pay anything extra, no matter what. Then let's get rid of perpetual and the whole idea of the update plan. Well, that didn't work <laughs> exactly the way we planned it. Because what we thought the community wants is slightly different than what the community wants. Mm. So the community shouted out very, very loudly saying, we want perpetual and we want subscription. We will decide. We know what's best for us. Give us both and we'll make it happen for, you know, each one individually, whatever he decides. Right. The shout was so loud. We didn't even try persuading anyone. Mm. It was just, okay, let's, let's turn do it. back and, <laughs> and do it because uh, that's what the community wants. Right. And, you know, that's there since I think the beginning of April and it's working really well. It's surprising how different types of work schedules and work environments are in this community where one will want the subscription, the other one doesn't want the subscription. It's all <laughs> over the place and we need to cater to that. And I wish we would have listened earlier. Our main fault, we didn't ask. It's not like we didn't gotcha. listen. We should have. And kind of learned a lesson. Since that day, we've been actively going out and communicating with a lot of our existing users, but a lot of potential users and actually listening and taking it in, understanding where we can do better and moving forward. So that's awesome. in a way it's a good lesson. <laughs> uh, I wish we would have done that without the lesson, but it is what it is. Right, right. I think that's still pretty humbling, obviously, to get to the point where you're acknowledging at least like, hey, we're not perfect. We recognize, okay, this is a misstep. Let's make sure everybody's taken care of. And I think this goes back to the breadth of the industry that I brought up earlier. It's so broad. You're trying to appeal to so many. You're not going to appeal to everyone. But I've found so many creators and so many businesses and across every industry that tend to notice the same thing, whether it's NVIDIA or Intel or Walmart or anything like that, they tend to say that the minority is often the most vocal. <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity where if you're trying to reach that audience, that you take the time to listen to what their wants are and that you understand it. I think a lot of businesses can easily have made the same misstep that Waves made there in terms of trying to anticipate the market, trying to improve the business relations with the audience, but then not quite hitting the mark. And it happens, you know, even for music producers, whether you're working with clients on a one-to-one -one basis or a one-to-many basis, and all of a sudden there's that blip, that misstep that causes you to have to take a step back. Everybody takes a hit when it comes to the business. The longer your business, the more inevitable it is. 
And I think it's more about how you react to the situation rather than just always acting 100% or like perfect, right? It's not about perfection. It's about excellence. I got to give my hats off to how you guys have reacted to that. And the whole team seems to have come together and is definitely giving the community what it wants. (laughs) Um, That's the goal. That's the goal. And hopefully continue to do that day after day because at the end of the day, we're in this business because we like audio, music, creation, and it's a different business as far as I'm concerned. It's not the big players and the clients, it's the community. Right. And, uh, you know, I think 80% of our employees are musicians, engineers, podcasters. Yeah. Playing I, in- I was actually just about to ask that too, because it sounds like there is a lot of contribution that comes within the teams there at Waves as well. And everybody that's working to inspire new products and bring up ideas for new directions within the company. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's another challenge. Talking about challenges, it's not what to do, it's what not to do. <laughs> the amount of ideas that are on the table, the tech support team are all 100% engineers, musicians. Product managers, definitely engineers, producers, musicians of different kinds. There's the guitar players and the guys who download from Splice. And they're all different. Then there's the QA team who are the AW geeks, any kind. <laughs> and marketing, hey, you know. So you get this hundreds of users within the company, all employees, thinking about what you should do next. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's a good place to be in, but we need to be careful with how we pick and choose and as I said, the trends change so fast nowadays. Mm-hmm. You need to really pick and choose where you want to go and where you want to invest your team in order to get a good ROI. I think you've also mentioned in one of your past interviews, it sounds like you guys have had to figure out a system or a process for what goes into actual development. Is that still the case? How did you guys figure that out? Well, it, it's slightly more than a list. Uh, <laughs> But it's, it's a system where. Is it by committee? It is. But before it reaches the committee, it goes through a product manager who needs to provide certain gates, mm. or we call it a gate, and answer certain questions, analyze the opportunities, and then brings it up to the small community, which we kind of vote and make decisions. Some projects are longer. Some are faster, some are for live and some are for studio and some are for the consumer. And all that needs to come into play because as with any manufacturer, resources are always limited. Yeah, you You don't have an unlimited budget. (laughs) You you want to do much more than what you can. Right. But, But yeah, more or less how we make those decisions. We do have the opportunity of changing our minds. Like, you know, Six months down the road, this is not working or the industry has changed or something's happened. Hey, we don't have to go there. We're not invested in any bank. As I said, we're private company. <laughs> there are massive advantages of being a privately held company. I think out of the bigger companies, we're probably the only one that's still private, I guess. Wow. The rest are 
either PE owned, VC owned, or mm-hmm. VC invested in some other form. So yeah, there are advantages and disadvantages. That's incredible still. That's amazing. Yeah, I want to leave on a positive note. And I see the future for music producers. Everything was positive. It was. It was. I mean, the, the little little hiccup there, we kind of tiptoed over. No, but okay. it's fine. We're good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I see the future of music producers focusing more and more on developing their custom tools to accomplish unique workflows that separate them from their competitors. So where do you see the future of audio processing going? That's Studioverse. That's exactly Studioverse. You, mm. you just nailed it. You know, Studioverse is at its very, very, very beginning. It's going to get bumped up with some more opportunities, hopefully for January 24. And it's really for those musicians or creators to be able to configure their own sound, no matter if they know audio engineering or they don't. We're going to provide them with the opportunity to do that without the need of the knowledge of engineering that was something that can do up to several years ago. On the other hand, we have our loyal community of engineers and producers, and if they walk in there and fiddle and tweak anything between the Q10 and the latest plugin, they're welcome to do so. It's wow. all available on the same platform, and that platform is going to grow through AI, obviously, and various other opportunities that we're working on. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. Definitely. Great question. Thank you yeah. for that. It sounds very exciting, especially for audio in general. I was also surprised that you brought up earlier, you guys do essentially private label stuff for Dell or HP or these other companies where they have specific needs and it... It's not private label. It's, it's still branded. Waves. Oh, interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right. But it, it's embedded. Right. In the operating so, system for like their computers per se? Exactly. Okay. I think most of the Dell laptops nowadays you will see a Max logo. Max is owned by Waves. Oh, yeah. It's the Intuva brand. Depending on the application, it has either input processing, definitely output processing, and other various opportunities. Dell, and as I said, other companies as well, including some that make mobile phones. Awesome. So the consumer brand is working well. Very cool. I was curious to see if there's anything that you guys might be doing that is bringing waves into the car audio industry? Because I know Samsung, when they bought Harman Group, that was a big shift. Well, that was the main reason they bought, I think it it was because of Harman Kardon. Yep. I'll tell you a small story. I may be missing the dates, but probably 2008 or whatever, we decided to go into the car audio industry. Well, the aftermarket one. (laughs) One of our products, which is called Max Base, basically works really well if you have a small speaker and it gives you larger sound, which sounds like a great idea in the aftermarket car audio industry. So we went and spoke to Pioneer and Kenwood and and some of the other companies and at the end of the day created a unit which was supposed to be a retrofit into the call after you have your system and would enhance your bass without changing your amp or speaker. Hmm. That's where we met the different opportunities that the car market provides opposed to the audio market because it's a different game. 
like any different game, you need to learn what to do and what not to do and how to do it. Basically, that didn't work because most of the times when you switched on the car, the unit blew up. Oh. So <laughs> we, well, we, we were designing pro audio PCB boards for the aftermarket car audio industry, which didn't work very well. Right. But we had fun. We went and exhibited it. Uh, I think it's called SEMA, mm-hmm. Vegas. And I love old cars. So I had a good time. I collect a few, but anyway. Oh, awesome. Uh, that was a nice experience, but it wasn't profitable. And we kind of wiped that out. Oh, wow. Uh, we actually had a car at the exhibition, outside the exhibition, called Max Bass. The whole thing was shaking with bass. <laughs> It's a nice example of what we could do, but it wasn't a product. Ah, interesting. So we're not going there right now. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Mick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on to this podcast and allowing us to talk about some of the subjects that we talked about today and especially address the subscriptions and changing business terms and what really happens behind the scenes at Waves. Because obviously this is a massive company. You guys are doing incredible things. And I think to continue moving the industry forward, you have to continue to take risks. I'm very appreciative to have that time and opportunity to talk with you about it today. Was there any final thoughts that you wanted to leave our audience with? Hey, if you have anything that you want to talk to us about, please send us an email. Uh, My personal email is mick, M-I-C-K at waves.com. Feel free to use it. And thank you very much, Cameron. It was exciting and I was delighted to talk to you. I hope your audience have a success in going to the next step and becoming the next, whatever that may be. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you very much, Cameron. Yeah. Thank Enjoyed you so it. much, Mick. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for sticking around to the end of this episode. I really admire what Waves has been able to accomplish in the audio industry as a business, and it was an honor to interview Mick. To be clear, my goal is not to defend nor condemn Waves for the sudden change to the subscription plan. However, I think Mick brought to light an excellent mindset that he shared during the interview, and it's one that I hope every entrepreneur can develop. It's not about acting like a perfect brand at all times, but rather how you react to the situation when something doesn't go as planned. I do side with him when he mentioned that it was possible they could have taken the opportunity to ask the community before making the business change, but I also know we're all human. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Just looking at all the public controversies in the tech industry in 2023 alone is a sign that businesses are still operated by people, and that means a lot of imperfect actions are being taken. From NVIDIA's positioning themselves into the perception that they're marginalizing the gamer communities in favor of big data center revenues, to all of Asus mishaps with their product recalls and beyond, it just feels like we're seeing a global reaction across every industry to the economic volatility that has endured since the start of the pandemic. As Mick said, the pace of change is accelerating. I think that this is a big proponent behind a lot of the hasteful decisions that are leading to these missteps that these companies have been experiencing. If you're a budding musicpreneur, don't let this talk put anxiety or fear of making mistakes into your head and prevent you from launching your idea. Instead, 
take the lessons that Mick shared today to heart and recognize that you have two opportunities. Take the due care to preemptively ensure that whatever you feel could be negatively received is worked out prior to taking action that you're planning on. And two, if you do make a mistake, you have the opportunity to own up to it and do your best to make it right to your community, customer, audience, and be genuinely transparent. It doesn't have to spell the end of your business. So don't be afraid that if the mistake happens, it's not the end. As always, we'll have all the links in the show notes below, including Mick's direct email address. And if you're finding this podcast helpful in any way, the best way you can help others like yourself is to rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That social proof can make or break someone else potentially passing on a life-changing opportunity simply because they didn't know if this podcast was meant for them. This podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance, the premier online professional development community that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and business mentoring to music producers. If you want to be able to consistently attract high-quality artists who will pay premium prices for your production services, go to musicproducersalliance.com forward slash apply and book a free 30-minute strategy session to find out how we can help you elevate your brand as a music producer. 